is awesome to see you here tonight. And I got to tell you what, it's just great to celebrate Christmas. And here in Ohio, we're having what's called the California Christmas, right? I mean, where's the beach? That's the only thing we're missing here is the, I'm driving here and all the windows are rolled down and, uh, you know, it's just, it's beautiful. And being from Michigan, I've never had, uh, you know, a snowless Christmas. This is my first one. And it's just kind of odd, but it's beautiful all at the same time. So I hope you're enjoying it. And I'm glad that you're here with us. If you're visiting, thanks for being here. And because we've gathered here on this night, because we've taken the time to come here on Christmas Eve, I just have a question. And it might, it might seem like a, a simple question, but I want you to think about it. And it's this. When did the story of Christmas really begin? When did the story of Christmas really begin? Well, some people are probably thinking, well, Phil, you're a pastor. You should know this. I mean, isn't this kind of easy, right? I mean, the story of Christmas began, you know, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. That's Christmas. That's when the story of Christmas began. And others would be thinking, well, you know, I could see that point, but I'm not so sure. I think the story of Christmas began when that angel appeared to Mary and told her, that she had found favor with God and that she was going to give birth to a child. That's when the story of Christmas began. And other people would say, well, I, I, I hear you, but I actually think the story of Christmas began all the way back in the Old Testament with these various prophecies. Like Isaiah, who said that he would have no beauty or majesty that would attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And, and these prophets would, would speak about this Messiah to come. I think that's when the story of Christmas began. And yet there's another pastor, a theologian that I greatly respect. His name is Kenneth Bailey. I want to just give him credit here tonight. And, and he would say, you know what? The story of Christmas really begins with this forgotten, overlooked section of Scripture. In fact, some would call this section of Scripture the forgotten Christmas list. The forgotten Christmas list. It's forgotten because many times we look at at the story of Christmas and we fail to see the totality of it. He would look at the Gospel of Matthew, one of the only Gospels that gives us the story of Christmas. And Matthew would say within this forgotten list, is the beginning of Christmas. That's why he wrote it. That's why he put it there. If you take a look in your Bibles, if you wanted to open that up, and you looked at Matthew chapter 1, before the story that we come to know takes place, the first 17 verses, you would see this list, this forgotten Christmas list. It's a genealogy. And for the Jewish people, when Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience, a genealogy was so incredibly important because it helped to determine the proper sale of land back then to make sure you were selling to the right people, that they should actually get it based on their genealogy. It would help determine the priesthood, you know, the rightful line to the throne, if you would. And a proper genealogy would also help you to understand who the Messiah would be, what he would look like, what signs to look for. And this leads us to this forgotten Christmas list that's found at the beginning of the book of Matthew. And what's interesting, and I want you to think about this, and I want you to take this in because it's so vitally important, that a genealogy back then, as as he was writing to the Jewish people, a genealogy would only include Jewish men. That's it. 
I mean, you needed women, of course, to have babies and have a line that would lead to something. But they would not be listed because back in the culture in those times, men were respected, women really weren't. And so you would not find a woman on the list. You also wouldn't find a Gentile on the list. Only Jews would be listed because they were God's chosen people. No Gentiles, no women. And this leads us back to the beginning of Christmas because within the Gospel of Matthew, we see within this list 40 male forerunners of Jesus and then also, strangely enough, five women. Five women who ought not be there based on the kind of the rules of that particular time. And these were not just any women, mind you. Some of these women were kind of out there. You got to wonder why in the world would he place them there? He places them there because he's giving us clues. And Matthew, as he begins his gospel, he's saying, This is the beginning of Christmas. This is what Christmas is all about. Can you see it? Are you embracing it? Those will be the questions he's asking of you tonight, asking of me tonight. And so, tonight, we're going to take a look at at five brief stories of these five women. And we're doing so because Matthew, what he wants is for their stories to impact your story. And so I want to ask you to really kind of center in here tonight. We're going to take a look at these five women. The first one listed, and there's good reason for this. I want you to think of this as like a puzzle that's being put together, and at the end you kind of kind of see the full picture. And he starts with this woman named Tamar, who's found in the book of Genesis, chapter 38. And when we're introduced to Tamar, it's, it's the most unsettling situation, because she was married, but she could not bear any children. And back in that particular time and that culture, of course, this would bring shame upon your family. In fact, a woman who could not bear children after years and years of time would wonder why she was even living at all. It was that extreme. And so she's experiencing the weight of all this when suddenly her own husband dies. This is tragic. Now, the custom of that particular time mandated that if a barren wife suddenly became a widow, well, then the deceased husband's brother... Had to marry her. It was called a leveret marriage. And if this happened, of course, this was your duty as a brother to do this. Sometimes a brother might think, well, that that worked out pretty well for me. And sometimes not so much. But it didn't matter because back then you just had to do it. This is part of the custom of that day. And so now this brother, of course, is mandated by scripture, marries Tamar. And all is well until suddenly he dies. Well, then, of course, it was mandated if there was another brother, he was to marry her. Well, the good news was that there was. But the bad news was that he was way too young to even marry. And so now her father-in-law, by the name of Judah, promises Tamar that when he becomes of age, he is going to marry her. Well, he grows up, of course, and by the time he reaches the proper age to marry, he looks at this older woman and he's like, I don't want anything to do with her. And suddenly she's without hope. She's not married. She has no children. And she has to do something about this. And so she devises a very wicked, deceitful plan. Knowing, of course, her father-in-law by now and knowing that he traveled a certain road at a certain time, she dresses like a woman of the night and she covers her face so he cannot see who she is. And so as he travels by, he approaches her and offers her a goat for her services. A goat. 
if you're catching that, a goat. And, and she accepts, but he, of course, doesn't have the goat right then. He's going to pay her later. And so she says, well, in the meantime, give me your ring and give me your staff. I'll return those to you when you give me the goat. And so they have a relationship with each other that turns out that she then becomes pregnant. But, of course, her father-in-law has no idea who that woman was. He goes on with his life, and months pass, and suddenly he sees that his daughter-in-law now is pregnant, and she is not married. And this brings shame upon the family. And so he orders her to be killed by burning her alive. And so as she's being dragged to her death, she sends a message to her father-in-law, along with the ring, along with the staff, that says, I am pregnant by the man who owns these. And suddenly he's busted. And he knows he's the guilty party. Both of them should have been stoned back then, but the reality is Tamar, she lived. And she lived to give birth to two twins. And so the result of this is that a, a deceiver, a woman of the night, is listed as an ancestor of Jesus. And we got to wonder why. And Matthew's giving us a clue. He's saying, this is the beginning of Christmas. This is what Christmas is all about. Do you see it? Are you embracing it? Well, if you're not yet, that's okay, because perhaps Rahab will help you. She's the next woman on the list. Rahab is well known throughout the Bible as being yet another woman of the night. That's what she did for a living. She lived in a place called Jericho at that time. And it was going to be overtaken by the Israelites, who were led back by, by Joshua back then. And they were going to overtake the city. And so Joshua, he sends in a couple spies into the city to kind of check things out so we can take them over. And, of course, they have to stay overnight. And where do they choose to stay overnight? Not at a hotel, but they stay at Rahab's house. you got to wonder why. And so word gets, gets to the king of Jericho that they are somehow in his city, maybe staying at Rahab's home. And he sends a message to her, ordering her to send them out. Well, she's more than just a woman of the night. She's a liar and she's a deceiver as well. And consequently, she sends this message and it's a lie. And she responds, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. And so the soldiers depart. And then she gets together with these spies who are in her home. And she cuts a deal with them. And she knows that her city is going to be overtaken. That all the people are going to be killed. So she states, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family. Because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. And they agree to her plan. The city is overtaken. All the people are killed, but her family and herself, she is spared. And as a result, a Gentile woman, keep in mind, Gentiles are not well thought of by the Jewish people. A Gentile woman, a woman of the night, is now an ancestor Jesus. But why? And Matthew's giving us the clue. He's saying, this is the beginning of Christmas. This is what Christmas is all about. Do you see it? Are you embracing it? But perhaps it's not clear yet. Perhaps Ruth will help you out a bit. She's the third woman on the list. Ruth, well, she's a Gentile. 
Another one who's not well thought of by the Jewish people necessarily. And she's single and she's living in a place called Moab. And one day a Jewish family moves to town. And this family, they have a couple sons. She marries one of the sons. But unfortunately, her father-in-law, along with the two sons, they die. Which means that she is a widow. Her mother-in-law is a widow as well. And her sister-in-law is a widow. Suddenly, they're all widows. And back then, the custom would, would say that you have to stay where you are. These are your people. You do not leave them. And yet her mother-in-law decides she wants to move back to Bethlehem where she knows and has family. And so Ruth, the peer pressure would be to, to stay where you are. And she says, no, I, I've got to go with my mother-in-law. I've got to help her. I've got to support her. And so she leaves behind everything that she knows. She leaves behind her family, her own religion, in order to embrace the one true and living God as they move to Bethlehem. And so they arrive to this place called Bethlehem, the very place where the Messiah would be born eventually. And she catches the attention of a man by the name of Boaz, a relative on her husband's side. And normally, of course, all the women were required to go out and work out in the field every single day. And yet Boaz, he comes to her and tells her not to go work out in the field because he sees something special in her. And she's so surprised by this, the Bible says at this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. It was very clear she knew that she had found favor with this man named Boaz, who was related to her. And so at night, she, she enters into his room and, oddly enough, uncovers his feet so they get cold so that he'll eventually wake up. And when he wakes up, he sees Ruth there and she says, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. Like Tamar before her, she was seeking a leveret marriage. And Boaz hears her, and because of her noble character, along with her faith and integrity, he marries her, and they experience a beautiful life together. And so now we find this Gentile woman, of all things, who now is, takes part and becomes an ancestor of, of Jesus. And you've got to wonder, why? Jesus is Jewish. Why a Gentile woman? And Matthew's giving us the clue, and he's saying, this is the beginning of Christmas. This is what Christmas is all about. Do you see it? Are you embracing it? But perhaps you're not yet. And uh, perhaps another woman by the name of Bathsheba will help you, a woman you've probably heard of before. Bathsheba, she was beautiful and she knew it. She was also kind of committed to embracing this path of upward mobility. I mean, she's doing very well in society because of what her husband does, but she wants to do just a little bit better. And so she waits for her husband to be away while serving on military duty. And she takes a bath in front of an open window. Now, I want you to think about this because in ancient Jerusalem, everyone would live in one-story buildings, if you would. Only the rich, only the wealthy would live in a two-story house or a three-story house. Someone like King David would live in a two- or three-story house. And what was so interesting about that is the owner of such a home could look down very easily into the homes around them and see everything that was going on. 
To add to this, homes back then were about 10 or 15 feet apart from each other. You were so close to your neighbor, and Bathsheba was a neighbor, you could smell their breath. So now her husband's away, and she takes a bath for David's viewing pleasure. And the Bible tells us that he notices her beauty. Eventually, he sends for her. They have a relationship, and she becomes pregnant. David then arranges for her husband, of course, to face certain death on the battlefield, something that she knew about, did nothing about. He dies, and David marries this beautiful woman, Bathsheba. David clearly had sinned. He was now, of course, really out of line with what God had called him to. God saw such value in him, and yet David kind of blows the whole thing. He needed to be confronted for his sin. And so a prophet comes to him one day by the name of Nathan. He calls David out. And David responds. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Although their child would eventually die, they had another son by the name of Solomon the wisest man who ever lived. And from David's line would come Jesus, the Messiah. But from this woman named Bathsheba, why? And Matthew, he's saying, this is the beginning of Christmas. This is what Christmas is all about. Do you see it? Are you embracing it? And if you're not, perhaps the next woman, the last woman on the list will help you, a woman you, you certainly know of. Her name is Mary. Mary is this lowly peasant girl, of course, pledged to be married to Joseph. When she learns one day that she'd found favor with God, which means she was going to have his son, Emmanuel, the Savior of the world. Now, Mary was far different from all the other women. First of all, she was Jewish. Secondly, she was known for being humble and pure, so unlike the others. She was also known for being obedient. And so you have to wonder, why would Matthew buck the trend of his whole society and in the beginning of the story of Christmas place in this forgotten list Gentile women, women at all? Why would he do this? What's going on? Because he wanted us to understand what Christmas was all about. He wanted us to understand what this baby was all about and what this baby would become and what this baby named Jesus would commit himself to. You see, Jesus, as he grew up and began to lead others, he included both men and women as his disciples, as his followers. You see, friends, in a world that only esteemed men, Jesus shows up in that world and he esteems everybody, men and women alike. This is part of the story of Christmas, that Jesus comes For everyone. But then Matthew lets us know as well that Jesus included both Jews and Gentiles. The Jewish people thought that this Messiah was only coming for them. And Jesus shows up and says, no, 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 I'm coming for all people everywhere. In fact, by including Gentiles like Ruth and and Rahab in his genealogy, Matthew gives us this beautiful pair of bookends. Because Matthew's gospel begins by mentioning Gentiles. And then his gospel ends by Jesus commanding his disciples to reach a Gentile world. And Jesus states, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so Jesus, this baby, would include men and women, Jews and Gentiles. But thirdly, Jesus included both saints and sinners. And that's good news for us. Saints and sinners. And it's here we have to stand up and take notice. Think about this, friends. Tamar, she was a deceiver. She did horrible things. Rahab, she lived as a woman of the night. Bathsheba commits adultery and sits by while her husband is murdered. Ruth, while she's honorable, she's a Gentile, she's an outsider. Mary, she was saintly, humble, and pure. What Matthew is trying to get us to understand is that within each one of us, we have something that relates to these women. See, we're all capable of being deceivers, liars, adulterers, manipulators, murderers, cheaters, and all of us, of course, hypocrites. And even so, because of Jesus, because he was born 2,000 years ago, we're also capable of being honorable, faithful, humble, and pure. See, Jesus came at Christmas to minister to a people who mostly identify with the first women on the list, this forgotten Christmas list, so ultimately they could see that we all have the potential to be like that last woman on the forgotten Christmas list. See, Matthew starts with sinners and he ends his gospel, really, this story, this first 17 verses with the saints. He's saying, this can be you. This can be you. But in order for us to be a saint, and in the New Testament, a saint is somebody who finds forgiveness from God, realizes that they're a sinner and asks for forgiveness and says, Jesus, wash me, cleanse me. I want to follow you. I want to be like you. And that person is a saint in the New Testament. But in order for us to be a a saint, we first have to realize that we're much like David, the sinner, and that we need to be confronted for our sin. And once confronted, we would respond like David and say, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. You see, because God's perfect light was shed on David's sin, David ultimately was able to find redemption. And the good news tonight... The good news this Christmas Eve is that you can too. You see, the forgotten Christmas list exists for people like you and me. This list points all the way back to the beginning of Christmas so ultimately we could experience the benefits of Christmas. And the benefits of Christmas are many. That we could know hope through Jesus Christ. That we could have life through Jesus Christ. That all that we've done before can be erased and done away with by God's grace because of Jesus Christ. And that's what Matthew's trying to get us to understand. So tonight, are you a saint? Or are you a sinner? If you'd say, I don't know that I'm in the saint category because I don't really know that I have that relationship with God, there's good news. There's good news tonight. You can be like David and respond and seek God's forgiveness. You can mark the moment right here, Christmas Eve 2015, is the moment you began truly walking with God. And I want to give you that opportunity. So would you all just close your eyes right now?
And I'm going to say a prayer. And if you've never prayed a prayer like this before and you're being led to do this, I'm going to ask you that you just silently, between yourself, your heart, and God's heart, repeat some of these phrases after me. That you could become God's child and experience the truth and the beauty of why Jesus came at Christmas. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm far from you. Because of my sin, I have rejected your gift many times. Please forgive me. I now place my hope and faith in the work you accomplished for me on the cross. I now pledge to follow you, live in relationship with you, and obey you. Until the day you call me home to worship you forever. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time here tonight, I want to welcome you to the family of God. That because of what Jesus has done for you, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you as a sinner. He looks at you and he sees you as a saint, someone beautiful, precious, surprised. It doesn't matter what you've done. It matters who you know and who you follow. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ that he came to bring at Christmas. And so we're going to continue on in our worship. And we're going to sing about this beautiful Savior who came on a silent night in that little town of Bethlehem. And because he did, Jesus has virtually changed the world. Let's worship him.